Hey, I want to share with you guys from uh, actually the book of Exodus. Uh, so if you, if you have a Bible, if you turn there, it's uh, Exodus 31. I'm going to talk to you about a couple of uh, characters who I think were very um, important, significant, vital uh, people in the work that God was doing uh, at that time uh, on earth. Exodus 31, about uh, a man named Bezalel and also another man named Aholiab, uh, really used mightily by God. But um, gosh, I just was thinking about, you know, today and, and uh, thinking about all of you. And, uh, you know, for me, my first memories inside the church and uh, really where God began to work in my life uh, were not in uh, what you call like big churches. Uh, my first memories really were in living rooms and in gymnasiums and in uh, other people's church buildings uh, that we were borrowing and renting and all of that. I grew up in a pastor's home, and uh, so I was just constantly around the church, just constantly around the body of Christ. And uh, for me, you know, I have so many, I don't remember a lot of things. Uh, I don't have a very good memory. My wife has like this photographic memory of like every detail of her entire childhood. But for me, there are just certain things that stand out. I remember uh, this contraption that the church had where it was like this metal, I just remember as a kid, it was like this deathly thing. You just did not want to get near it. But it, can, it held all of the aluminum chairs that we would cart in and out of the church building and that I would watch these other people who would faithfully, you know, before the people came and after the people left, they would get those chairs out, you know, and they would stack them together. And I remember, you know, my first like moments of cruising over there and trying to do that myself and bringing them over there and having someone else show me like, no, it's not how you put it in there. You got to turn it around, get it the right way, you know, kind of thing. I, I remember that. I remember... Uh, this old Presbyterian church that we used to borrow at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday afternoons. That's when our services were. So we had the kind of people that liked going to church at 2 p.m. And uh, we, would, we borrowed this church. They, they let us use it. And it was, it was like, you know, it, I mean, it's, if, if you could borrow it now, it'd be cool. But we were borrowing it back in an era when it wasn't cool. But now it would be cool. But it was like, you know, just old. And you know, I remember like after the services, these wooden pews and, and just like uh, sliding down on my belly underneath these wooden pews on the wooden floor and just having like the greatest time just waiting for my parents to finish all of this like ministry and conversations and all that. I remember that. I remember, you know, years of meeting in a movie theater as a church and the, you know, going to the worship time as a teenager and just being so disconnected from that moment, sitting in the back row with all the other teenagers that kind of didn't want to be there. And then after the announcements time or whatever, we'd be dismissed for our youth ministry meeting and going into a different theater next door and just, I mean, it was the most awkward youth group you've ever been to. I mean, I remember my youth pastor, he was so, he just hated that we would fall asleep during his messages. So he br would bring these construction, these lights from a construction site. And he wouldn't shine them on himself, but he set them up behind him to shine on us. It was like this glaring kind of thing. I remember that. But you know, one memory that I have is uh, 
when I was in middle school. I, you know, as a young man, you know, my parents shared the gospel with me, and I believed the gospel message, you know, like a, as a, as a child would, I received it. But, you know, just like a personal, who is God, walk with God, you know, that just wasn't happening yet in my life. And I remember going away to this middle school camp, and you know, the different pastors were teaching and communicating and all that, and I really don't remember any of the things that they were sharing, like, specifically. But I do remember. I remember it was in the winter. There was all this snow outside. And a worship leader got up and started leading us in song. And it was in that moment that I started to experience the Lord. And I walked away from the Lord for a period of time after that, but I could always go back to, I have tasted and I have seen that the Lord is good. And for me, a lot of it had to do with that moment of just the worship of God happening and unfolding in my life. And like Hillary was sharing earlier about her father, it was just like a moment of like, God is real, God loves me, God cares for me, and it happened, you know, during that time uh, in worship. Now, I just say all that to say, what you are doing in facilitating the worship of God in your fellowships, it's a, it's a powerful, important, vital part of the body of Christ. And in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 31, uh, Moses has received the plan from God. They've come out of the land of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've passed through a few of those initial geographical locations that they've had to go through. And then Moses goes up at the bidding of God to the mountaintop to pray, to seek the Lord. And there, as he's up on the mountaintop, God gives him this very, uh, I don't know if complex is the right word, but detailed description of what needs to be built that will exist inside of the, in the middle of the nation of Israel, of all of the tribes. And it's this tabernacle. And it's very detailed. I mean, God described for Moses, um, for instance, uh, exactly what the altar on the outside of the tabernacle was to look like, what it was to be built with, and its description. He described the uh, altar of incense that would dwell inside the tabernacle, or the golden lampstand that would dwell inside the tabernacle, or the table that would have showbread that was daily put out for the Lord inside the tabernacle. He described, of course, the Ark of the Covenant, the way it would be built, its dimensions, and the angels or the cherubim that would be engraved and put on top of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. He described all of it. He described the fencing you know, around it, the uh, beams and the pillars within it, even the sockets you know, that would hold together all those beams. He, God described for Moses, this is what it's supposed to look like. And then the priests themselves, he described in great detail what their garments were to look like, what their robes were to be constructed with and the different colors, uh, the breastplate and the uh, shoulder pieces and the, the head uh, garment and the uh, plate upon the uh, turban that they would wear that would say, holy unto the Lord. He, I mean, he described all of it. And, you know, I don't know, you know, as Moses was 
you know, how he was, you know, collecting that information. I don't know as he was collecting that information if there was a sense of, you know, being overwhelmed or anything like that. There's no indication of that in the text. But there is a question of, okay, that's beautiful. That sounds wonderful. But how in the world are we going to actually do that? How in the world are we actually going to put together all these beautiful pieces, all this intricate stuff? How are we going to get this job done? And that's where, in Exodus 31, these two significant figures, they're called gifted artists or artisans. These two figures, Bezalel named Aholiab, they are called by God and established by God uh, for the work. So let's just read it together uh, there, verse uh, 1 to uh, verse, uh, I think maybe I'll go through Uh, verse 6. But it says, the Lord said to Moses, verse 31, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. They didn't have, you know, last names and all that back then, so you had to, Bezalel, which one? The son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him, verse 3, with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I've appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahasamach of the tribe of Dan. And I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. And then God, in verse 7 through 11, goes on to just reiterate everything that he'd already told Moses uh, that they needed to construct for uh, the worship of God. Uh, So I won't read that in verse 7 to 11, but that's what follows. Everything I commanded you uh, to build, he says there in verse 6. So today I just want to hold out to you four things that were beautiful about these four uh, men. The first is just really simple. They were used by God uh, as an answer to a specific dilemma. They were an answer to a specific dilemma. And I just want you to think about yourself like that, you know, like Bezalel and Aholiab. You know, here's these two guys. Moses had this incredible project in front of him. How in the world are we going to do it, he might be wondering. And God raises up these two men who have the ability. They have the gifting. They can do it when Moses himself could not do it. And, you know, I, I just think about you and the things that you are offering to the body of Christ. You have gifts and abilities that are an answer to a problem in the body of Christ or a dilemma in the body of Christ. How can we worship God? How can we honor God? How can we, you know, adore the Lord in music and in song? And you might be an answer to that issue or to that dilemma. I remember when I first started pastoring here, it was uh, eight years ago, eight and a half years ago. And, um, you know, man, the church was beautiful in a lot of ways, foundationally, you know, doctrine, beliefs, uh, structure, you know, things like that. But on the other hand, over time, a little bit of a disconnect had begun to happen with our worship of the Lord. And I just kind of knew initially that, all right, you know, there's a certain tone and a heart and a passion that is inside me, and I think also inside so many of the people, but it's not being reflected right now through what we're doing in, um, in our public worship times. And so it really became a big part of prayer in my life. I'm like, God, I know you want me to, to, to do this. I know you want to uh, have this beautiful thing happen here. 
But Lord, you, I, you know, I don't know how to lead worship. I'm not a worship leader. And, uh, you know, I, I can't do this myself. So God, please, would you provide for us? And when I first started, there was a worship leader here who I'm really good friends with still, and he's gone on to plant a church, and he's a good man. And we had become really good friends before I'd become the pastor, and, and I thought, oh, cool, you know, he's going he's gonna to be the guy. And uh, he's a blessing, and, you know, he's going he's gonna to be the guy, and he's going to really kind of set a worshipful tone in this church. And I still remember six months after I was here, he came to me, and, you know, I just remember that conversation. You know, he, is, he had felt the Lord calling him to move to Monterey four or five years before that from Napa, his hometown. And he came to me about six months into it, and he said, Nate, my wife and I, we just were so blessed here, but we really feel now the Lord is calling us to go back to our hometown. And you, I'm sure you've had those conversations with people who are like, we feel like the Lord is leading us away from you, you know, and you're like, oh, praise the Lord, that's so, oh, it's wonderful, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> you know, so I was, you know, I was supportive and everything, I, you know, I was, did the right thing, but, you know, in my heart, I was like, oh, no, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Who's going to, who's going to serve in that capacity? And, uh, Man, I just remember the Lord just bringing in, you know, different people at the right time. And this one young man, I'd known him in my youth ministry days, and he led worship for a while just kind of nobly and just, you know, led the body. And honestly, it was a little bit, for our church, a little bit of a contentious figure because he was a change, a real big change, stylistically, all that. And uh, I don't know that he was ready for it. I don't know that the church was ready for it. And, you know, I think a lot of people probably left the church at that time as a result of, you know, his leadership, my leadership, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that happens in an, an older church when there's a big change, you know, that kind of thing happens. So we went through it. You know, the Lord was helping us, giving us grace. There were lots of Sundays of like, God, what is happening here? What are you doing? You know, kind of thing. And then, you know, his time came to a close and and again, it was kind of one of those things like, Lord, what are you, what are you doing? Who's going who's gonna to be the answer to this dilemma? God, I know you want there to be this passionate praise and worship, adoration of you in this house, but like, what's, what's next? And I remember there was this woman, her name was Sarah, and she was only going to be here for a short stretch of time. Her husband was in the military, but she was just the sweetest most loving person, and she led worship from this, we had this old grand piano that she would sit at, and she would just, I just remember she would sit up there, and she would just, in her little soft voice, she'd be like, good morning, church, and let's all stand, and everyone would stand, and our stage was like about this tall back then, so they, everyone would stand, and she was sitting, and they were all taller than her, you know, as she's sitting there, and she would just start leading us on the piano, and it was just, you know, it was beautiful. I knew it wasn't where we were ultimately going, but it was just for that time, an answer to a dilemma. And then, you know, over time, uh, the Lord bringing Pastor Brenton here and just watching him as he's led and cultivated and, you know, blessed our fellowship. It's just a huge answer to the dilemma of how in the world are we going to have this time that is glorifying to God. That's what the temple was going to do. It was going to be built, constructed. The glory of God was going to exist there. 
The people were going to come and worship the Lord, be in fellowship with God. But for Moses, it was, man, that's not my role. How can this unfold? How can this take place? And so I just, I just want to remind you of that this morning because, you know, I don't know the way your church is designed or structured, but, you know, at the very least, you probably meet every single Sunday morning, you know, throughout the year. That's 52 times that your church, you know, gets together, you know, no matter what, no matter what, like even this year, Sunday, Christmas is on a Sunday. You guys been thinking about that? Oh, what are we going to do? Christmas Sunday. Are we allowed to cancel? Is Jesus going to be mad at us? You know, on a, do we cancel church on his birthday? Oh, you know, like, man. You know, but we just meet and meet. And then if you have multiple services, you know, if you have two services, that's 104 gatherings. If you have three, that math is way beyond me, so I can't, you know, I can't do that. But, and then if you meet on Wednesday nights, and small groups, and youth ministry, and, you know, all these different gatherings. You put that all together, and there are hundreds, you know, of times that people gather together. And I think in the repetitive nature of it, it might be easy for you to forget, I am part of God's answer to a dilemma. The question of how can we come together and, as we collectively worship the Lord, bring Him honor and glory I'm part of that and get to be an answer to that, right? So that's what these two men were, Moses sitting there with all these directions from God on how they, as the people of Israel, were to you know, bring honor to the Lord. And Bezalel and Aholiab were part of that answer. So remember that in your, in your heart and your life. And if that's all you take away from this, then I'm a, happy, I'm a happy man. So let me take you through three other things quickly that I see here about these these two guys. Secondly, you see there that they were definitely called by God. God names them. He says in verse 2, see I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And then in verse 6, I've appointed with him a holy ab. These guys were named by God. They were called uh, by God. And, you know, just for you to receive that from the Lord, I'm called by God to this. God knows your name. You're not where you are by accident. You weren't approached by someone else and invited into the work of the Lord by accident. This was the Lord looking at you and saying, here's something I want to do through you in your life. You were called by the Lord. And Bezalel and Aholiab, they were known by God. They were called by God. You know, maybe for you, there's a little bit of just kind of a need today to just kind of be refreshed in that first love that you have in the Lord. And just remembering those days when, you know, you just, it's like, God, if I, could, if I could do anything in your kingdom, I'd be so blessed. If there's just any way that you could use my life, I'd be so blessed. You know, and sometimes you just kind of get going and you're serving and all of that, and you just kind of forget the calling of God upon your heart, the calling of God upon your life. So they were called by the Lord. And then, so they answered a dilemma, they were called by God. But number three, they had ability that came from God. Isn't that clear there in verse 1 through 6? You know, he's, God says of them in verse 3, I've filled him with the Spirit of God and with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. This is part of the way that it was made obvious that they were called by God. God put his Spirit 
in them and upon them. And as a result, they had skill to do the work. Right? So that's, that's one of the ways that we know that someone is called by God. You know, maybe you've had to have a tough conversation like that before with someone who says, I feel so called to this. And then you're like, okay, well, let's get together. Maybe let's just play a little bit. Or you, know, you can sing as I'm playing or something like that. And you listen or you hear and you go, oh, man, I don't know if you're called by God. You know, the ability maybe isn't there. The skill maybe isn't there. Maybe it's something that needs to be developed for a while. Maybe you are called, but you need to learn. You need to grow. You need to gain that ability. But, uh, but there, are, there are a few ways that they were, they were gifted by God. First of all, you know, it's clear they had spiritual ability. You see that there. I filled him with the spirit of God. This is spiritual work that we are doing. Never forget that. And I would encourage you to just put your foot on the gas when it comes to the spiritual nature of the work that you're doing. And one of the things I love about uh, watching Pastor Brenton do his work and ministry here in the church is I know that he is constantly sharing the Word of God with the people that he's serving with. You know, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of work to do to just kind of get things dialed in and practice and prepare and learn songs and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of just the practical, technical work that goes into it. But when they do have times that they get together, you know, he'll open up his Bible and he'll press into, hey, this is, this is spiritual work that we're, that we're doing. And is your life consecrated? Do you love the Lord? And just kind of urging people in their walks with God. That's important. Remember, this is spiritual work that we're doing. I think it's easy to just kind of, you know, hop on YouTube and, you know, go. I mean, I feel so bad for you being a worship leader in a, in a time like this, you know, because 50 years ago, you know, it's like, well, we're leading worship like this. And I go to my church, you know, 52 Sundays out of the year. I don't even know what anybody else out there is doing. And now you can just like pop in on like, 50 churches in a matter of a, a couple of hours on YouTube, and you can, you can either be super discouraged by that or encouraged by that, you know. Um, but it might be easy in a moment like that, you know, to, oh, look at that lighting thing or look at that, you know, tech thing or something. You know, you can, under, you can, you can, you can realize real quickly I'm not living in that world, you know. I'm trying, I'm trying to, look at that doohickey that they have, you know, or whatever. But... Um, you know, as you do, to remember, this is spiritual work. This is spiritual work. They were, they were um, given ability by God, but it was spiritual ability first. They were filled with the Spirit of God, which, of course, is a, is a part of what we're living under on this side of the cross. You believe in Jesus, the Spirit of God given to you, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, empowering you for the work. And you need to trust the Lord for that. Even in the moment when you're leading the congregation in praise, trusting that the Spirit of God is going to help you in that moment. And, you know, prepare, ready yourself, but there might be a word. There might be a thing that the Lord wants you to share. There might be a change that he wants to have happen right in that moment. And sometimes it's hard because, you know, you're watching maybe the people and you know, maybe what you're seeing doesn't feel very spiritual. You know, maybe you're sitting there leading worship and someone in the front row is like checking a text message or something. The glow of their phone is hitting their face. And you're just like, man, this is discouraging. This is spiritual work. 
that I'm doing. One of the things that we try to do here, that we try to say here is, don't, don't respond on the platform to the mood that you perceive from the congregation. Instead, try to lead the body with the mood that you have from the platform. In other words, bring all your joy, your love, your passion for God. They're not going to be there unless you go there. So just remembering that spiritual ability from God. But also, you know, clearly they had natural ability as well. They had, he says, ability, intelligence. And then in verse 6, he reiterates that about other men. I've given to all able men ability. So, you know, praise God for that. There are spiritual gifts, but there are also just, you know, natural giftings and tendencies that, praise the Lord, so many of you have, you know. I wish I'd cultivated like a musical side of my life, but I never, I never did. The closest I got was in fourth grade. I signed up to play trumpet, and uh, that, I think that lasted for like eight weeks or something like that. You know, once we had to like, we were like, there was just spit everywhere. That's what I remember, you know. I just thought, this is gross. I'm not, I'm not going to be like some jazz, uh, you know, musician or anything. So, um, but for you, you know, whether it's just like an ability, like it's just easy for you, you know, we have this school in the area, it's a military school where they're learning languages. These people go through all these tests to determine whether they're the type of person that can learn a human language quickly so that they can go to that school. And maybe some of you, you have that musical language. You're able to, you're able to learn it quickly. It just comes more easily to you, naturally to you. Or maybe, you know, you were just, from an early age, you were put in music classes or you know, and you just kind of grew in that ability, or you were just singing from, a, from an early age, and you were learning all these things. You just had that ear, you know, to hear things that other people couldn't hear. That's, you know, natural ability. It comes from God, but it's natural ability that he has given to you. you re- you're redeeming it. Jesus is redeeming it for his purpose and for his, his glory. But I, I wanted you to see, not only did they have ability from God that was spiritual and natural, and, you know, what that means with natural ability, then, is that we're constantly wanting to cultivate that natural ability. You're always wanting to grow in your natural ability. I remember uh, years ago sitting with a worship leader, and I just happened to, like, somehow I just found myself in his office, and it was just of this massive church where they had, you know, I think probably like 30 people working in the worship department of the church. I mean, it was like one of those churches. And I was sitting there just kind of hanging out with this guy, just talking with him. And, you know, he was just a brilliant, you know, person. And I was asking him, like, so what's, you know, like a big thing? What's a big word of advice that you would give? And he just said, oh, man, you just always have to keep learning. Keep learning. And I'm like, really? What about you? And he said, oh, yeah, right now, I'm taking, and I think he was doing, he was like learning, he was taking salsa piano lessons. That's what he was doing. This guy had been like, I mean, there he is, just like it seems like you're at the pinnacle, and there he is just still growing, still learning, still honing his craft. And so we've got to continue uh, to cultivate that natural ability. But But then not only those two, spiritual ability, natural ability, but there's this little verse in chapter 35 of Exodus where these guys are described again. And in that place, uh, God says of them in verse 34 of Exodus 35, he says, And God has inspired Bezalel to teach, 
both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahasamach, of the tribe of Dan. So God also gave these two men not just spiritual ability and natural ability, but he gave them teaching ability, teaching ability. And this, I think, is probably one of those areas that it's so easy to just let it kind of fall by the wayside because life is so busy. And pulling someone else alongside of us and teaching and training them, pouring into them, it takes so much time. It takes so much effort. And it doesn't feel urgent. In other words, to spend time teaching someone today might not necessarily impact this week. But it does impact the kingdom of God. And so as you you guys are thinking about your life and your ministry, be thinking about that. How Am I to be teaching and training and raising up, you know, the next generation? You know, here in this church, one of the things that we're trying to do right now, and it's kind of a thing, I think, in the body of Christ right now, and I'm excited about it, there seems to be more of an interest in planting churches over the last, you know, 10 years or so. So we're, you know, trying to do that ourselves as well. So we have a, uh, sent out one of our pastors last year to plant a church, and he's doing really well. And right now we have like a little uh, one of our pastors is leading a small church planner school where a couple guys uh, that are even here today, they're kind of just growing and learning and spending a year here developing so that we can help send them out uh, into the world to plant churches. But, you know, honestly, one of the questions that we've kind of asked is, like, it's going to take, obviously, a team of people to be able to go into a community and preach the gospel and reach out to people, and then on those gatherings that they have together to worship the Lord together. It's going to take a team of people. Not every church planter that we're looking at and interested in is going to be the kind of person who also can lead worship himself or, or married someone who's able to lead worship. You know, not everybody's going to be able to be like that. And it's been one of the questions that we've asked. Like, man, how do we do this? Because it's going to take a team of people. There's going to have to be people who know how to effectively lead uh, children's ministry, for instance, or effectively lead corporate worship. And how is that going to happen? Oh, man, it's not going to happen through seminaries. It's not going to happen through Bible colleges. You know, those things might be helpful. It won't happen, though, primarily that way. It will primarily happen through the current existing leadership of local churches pouring into, teaching those who need to be prepared for the future work of God's kingdom here on earth. Jesus is not going to stop working here on earth. till the day he returns, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He is always going to be doing stuff. The question is, are we going to get to be involved in that or not? And I think that's one of the primary ways is that here they had an ability to teach others how to do all this work. Bezalel and Aholiab weren't just sitting there doing all of the craftsmanship themselves. They passed their skill into the lives of others. So again, it's kind of one of those things. It's not urgent, but it's very important. Okay, final thing. Let me just hold this out to you. This comes from the 39th chapter of Exodus, uh, verse 43. They did it. They did the work. They built everything. They got the tabernacle all prepared already. They took Moses' directions, and they built this thing. And that must have just been a trip for them to all watch. You know, Moses just saying like, I saw it in my mind's eye and I said it to you with my mouth and you guys heard it and you were actually able to do the thing that I communicated. I mean, what you guys do in creating and crafting, it's just amazing to, to me just to kind of watch. 
And so they did it. They did the work. They built it. And at the end, here's what happened. Exodus 39, verse 43. And Moses saw all the work. And behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. Then Moses blessed them. All right, so, man, here's a cool thing. I mean, because the, the thing about serving the Lord is, do you ever feel like you did it? Do you ever feel like you have done it? Or maybe to put it this way, do you ever feel like you're done? I mean, there might be times where you feel like, okay, that's it. You know, that was my last Sunday. <laughs> it's over, you know, kind of thing. But for the most part, you know, in serving the Lord, it never feels complete. There's always more work. There's always someone else to speak into. There's always someone else to reach. There's always, you know, the, the second a Sunday uh, gathering is complete. There's the next thing. When are we gathering again? You know, when are we going to get together again? And, uh, but here, for them, they actually did come to a point of completion. And you know, for us in our service of the Lord, there will be that moment, by the way, where that service, at least in this iteration of it, will be complete. I believe that we're going to be serving Jesus eternally. Uh, but the kind of service of Jesus that we're going to have for all of eternity, I think it's just going to feel way different than it felt here. You know, be encouraged by that. You know, have you ever maybe just looked out and thought, man, I just want to see so much more passion than I'm seeing, or I want to see things just come together and just be so much more beautiful or so much more widespread. I want, want everybody to, to know the Lord and, and, and all that. You know, the, the reality is that we will, I think those of us who are involved in the kingdom of God, we're going to appreciate heaven in a special kind of way because we're going to be sitting there in these times where we're worshiping God and there's going to be such a vibrancy about it and a purity about it. And I think a lot of us are going to be looking around going, this is what we wanted this is what we were fighting for. This is what we were longing for and tasted in part on earth, but never fully experienced. We're going to have that for all of eternity. That will be the moment where we're done, in a sense, and now able to enter into a new kind of way of serving the Lord and enjoying the Lord. So Moses, after they built it, he blessed them. He blessed them. After all that work, he blessed them. In the New Testament, we learn in John's, uh, John chapter 1, in his gospel, we learn that when Moses came, he came with the law, but when Jesus came, he brought grace and truth. You know, Moses himself, even in the book of Deuteronomy, he prophesied about a coming one, a different prophet, like Moses, but different. That's Jesus. Moses here, after they finished the work, he blessed them, but think about the Lord, think about Jesus, saying, well done good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. There's a blessing from Jesus in faithfully serving him. So that's what you see about these guys. They were an answer to a dilemma. They were called by God. They were given ability by God, and they were blessed by God. You know, there are so many people in the body of Christ who just don't experience the blessing of laying down their lives for the Lord the blessing of losing their life and finding it a little bit. And sometimes we, you know, kind of 
get like frustrated, you know, like, oh, you know, we need more volunteers and we need more people, you know, to step up and serve, you know, oh, why, you know. But the, 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 just think about it, like, you're the one that's blessed. You're the one that's get, getting the blessing of being used by God, you know, here on earth. So these two characters, I just want you to think about them. They had gifts for a specific time. They were the right people for the, the job. And I believe that about you. And I just wanted to honor you this morning and just say thank you for what you're doing in the body of Christ and serving him. And I just pray that you just continue to press in and work hard for him and his kingdom uh, and his glory. Amen? Okay, so let me, I just want to pray a prayer for you in, in closing. Father, I just thank you for every person that's here today. And it's just in my heart, Lord, to pray for them. You love each person here, Lord. They, at some point, maybe in the last year or maybe 40 years ago, said yes to you, to your kingdom, to your priority in their lives. And Father, I thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that you would cultivate that thing that started in them, that first love that began in them. I pray, Lord, that you would just cause it, Lord, to grow and blossom inside their lives. Father, I pray that you'd give us ability that's beyond anything we've ever experienced, Lord, up to this point. And we just love you, Lord, so much. And I pray, Lord, now your hand of blessing on the rest of today, that it just be, Lord, just a refreshing time. Lord, really restorative. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.